Jesus promised his disciples in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Welcome to You Shall Receive Power, and here are your hosts, Etienne McClintock and Colin Hone. Welcome to the program. It's good to have your company again with us today as we continue our journey in this wonderful little book written by Pastor Dennis Smith, 50 Days Prayers and Devotionals to Prepare for the Latter Rain and Christ's Return. Today we are looking at day 33 in the book, and it's talking about righteousness by faith and the Sabbath. So let's look at the Sabbath and how important it is. But before we open God's Word, let's do what we normally do and just ask God to guide and lead us as we open His Word so we can understand it effectively. Dear Father in heaven, it's such a privilege again to open your Word, to read and to study, Father, to be led by your Spirit. We don't make up the rules and the laws regarding the gospel, regarding salvation, regarding worship, but we simply learn from you through the leading of your Spirit. Father, lead us into all truth as you've promised. Baptize us afresh with your Holy Spirit and give us understanding is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, so this is a very important uh, topic regarding righteousness by faith. And does the Sabbath have any validity in regards to righteousness by faith? That's a good question, Etienne. I mean, in last uh, last session, we looked at uh, day 32, righteous by faith and keeping God's commandments. Hmm. We saw that God's commandments, Jesus kept God's commandments. And that if he lives in us, he'll seek to keep God's commandments. Yes. And we we're talking specifically about the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment, of those ten is to keep the Sabbath day Sabbath, holy. That's right. So I thought we would start straight away and say, you know, there's many parallels between God's work of creation and his work of redemption. Hmm. In creation, we're told that God brought light to darkness, perfect form where there was chaos, life where there was no life, and he created man in his own image. And we can go right back to Genesis in the book of Genesis, and let's have a look at right at the beginning when God created the heavens and earth in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. So the first thing is what God's created, the heavens and earth, then he rested. Hmm. So God worked, and then he rested. And find out he rested on the seventh day. Yes. From all his works he had made. And we also read right at Genesis, what did he set aside the seventh day? What did he do? It says he sanctified it and hallowed it. Yeah, so what it does holy. the word sanctified mean? Sanctified is to be set aside for a holy purpose. So he set aside the seventh day for a holy purpose. Was this before sin or after sin? Well, sin had not entered. I mean, God had just created Adam and Eve. They were perfect. Matter of fact, after Adam and Eve were created, he said that the whole creation, including man, was very good. So the first question is, whose idea was the Sabbath? God's idea. God created the Sabbath. He set aside it, made it mm. holy. He's the one that sanctified it. So it's God that brought this in. And so, because I've heard many people say the Sabbath was made for the Jews. Well, there's well, no Jew around yet. Judah didn't even exist yet. Israel didn't exist. This was before even. Yeah. This was just when Adam and Eve were on the. On That's right. There's no Judah. 
there is no Jacob, there is no Isaac, there is no Abraham. There's even no Noah yet. So you can't say it was made for Judah and, and the Jews which, which come from Judah. That's right. So that's the first thing we, we know. And in, re- in his redemption of mankind, he does a similar work. Hmm. God does a similar work. He brings light to man dwelling in darkness. He brings life to those who are dead in their sins. Yes. He recreates man in his own image. Mm. Remember, God created man in his own image. He recreates. Yeah, so he's going to recreate man in his own image, and he'll restore mankind to the Adamic perfection. Mm. So now when Jesus returns, we will get a new body, Mm. you know, glorification. New flesh. New flesh that will be made like Jesus' flesh. Amen. Which, which, like Adam's flesh, that can live forever. Mm. And so we'll have access to the tree of life. Amen. And so we also see that the gospel was taught in the creation story. Yes. In Genesis, we, we just read again, right? He created and mm. then rested from his work. And That's here we right. discover that God worked, then rested. That's right. And, and it's situ- interesting that the yeah. Sabbath comes after he rested because it says there in verse 3 that then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because. Okay, so this is the reason for it, because in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. Then it says, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. Hmm. So we discover that the situation for Adam was just the opposite. Okay. First he entered into God's rest since the seventh day Sabbath was his first full day of life. Hmm. First day of life. So his first full day is a rest day. Yes. Yeah. After entering God's rest on the seventh day, he then worked. Hmm. Okay, And the same sequence is true concerning man's redemption. In Christ, God completed the work of redemption through his sinless life, death and resurrection. Mm. Man begins experiencing God's redemptive work in his life by resting in what God has already done for him. We call that justification. Yes, We rest in what Christ has done for us. He rests in the fact that Jesus died for our sins. We rest in that fact. We rest in the fact that he's given us eternal life as a free gift. We rest in the fact that we have Christ's righteousness covering us. Mm. He, we also rest in the fact that the, at the cross, the power of our sinful nature was broken and we are now free to serve God. Mm. So we daily rest in the fact that Christ lives in us and we live out his life in and through him if he simply chooses to let him in. And so once as believers we rest in these truths, he's able to then work or faithfully serve and obey God in life and ministry. Mm. We rest in what Christ has done, remember? Like yes. Adam, yes. first day, rest, then he worked. We rest in what Christ has done, and then we go to work for Christ. Mm. I like the sequence here, beautiful. Yeah, this rest is necessary for him to faithfully serve God. By rest, what I mean is that we accept by faith what God has done for our redemption. Mm. We accept by faith what he has done for our redemption. Now we see a similar thing in Hebrews chapter 4. We find a similar description of the concept of rest. So Hebrews chapter 4, and we read in this chapter, we read of Israel's failure to enter in God's rest during their wilderness you know, journey. Yeah. Then we're told in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 to 11, Can you read that for us? It says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest, that's the rest of God, has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. 
Go to verse 11. Oh, verse 11. Okay, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall short according to the same example of disobedience. So God's word is clear, very clear about the concept of rest. Mm. When we enter into God's rest, what do we do? We cease from our own efforts. Yes. Okay. We're told that this is important to seek into that rest in Hebrews. Otherwise, we fail in our disobedience to God due to unbelief. That's what it just says. Mm. And so as we have seen in the previous um, chapters, as we've discussed, the only way to victory over temptation and sin is to rest in the fact that Jesus abides in us and to allow him to live out his life in and through us. It's Christ in, sin out. Yes. We must rest in that truth through belief and not hinder God's work of redemption in our life by trying to work or exert our own efforts to obey. When we try that, we're going contrary to resting in Christ's works. That's right, because when really what rest means is full abiding confidence in God and believing what he says he will do and letting him do what he says he would do. If we now start reviving our own selves and we want to go and try and do what God said he would do, we try and do it, that's actually an act of unbelief because God has said we can't do it. And then we go and try to do it, which means we don't really believe God. But God said he would do it if we would just only let him and get out of the way. And if we don't accept that, well, we try and do it ourselves. It's really we're contradicting God in that sense as well. So we can't enter into God's rest. That's right. And our, So what's our part? Our part is to believe and choose mm. to let Christ or Jesus live out his obedient life Amen. in us. We are to rest in his completed work. Mm. So this, let's talk about the Sabbath rest. You know, as seven-day Adventists, we highly regard the seventh-day Sabbath. Hence, it's in our name. Yes. Seventh-day Adventists. And That's right. Adventists is, is about we are waiting for the second coming, coming of, of Jesus, Jesus yes. the advent of Jesus Christ. Mm. We say we believe that we are to rest on that day. And hopefully from what has been presented in this chapter, you can see that God's command for us to rest from our labors every seventh day is a type of... Of our rest in him from our redemption yeah. For our redemption The Sabbath rest is symbolic Of resting completely in Christ For our deliverance from temptation and sin We are resting in God's completed works mm. As creator and as our redeemer And in the Old Testament We are told that the Sabbath Is a memorial of two things Number one It's a memorial of God creating this earth And all that is in it Let's read Exodus Chapter 20, verse 8 to 11. It's a memorial okay. of creation. It starts with the word remember. Now, it's interesting. All the other commandments actually start with the word you shall. Either you shall not or you shall. And here we have a commandment which is different. It's remember. This one, the fourth commandment and the fifth commandment, is the only ones that doesn't start with the word you shall or you shall not. The fifth commandment, of course, honor your father and your mother. So it starts with honor. But the fourth, uh, fourth commandment in verse 8 there of Exodus 20 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And rested the seventh day Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day And hallowed it So he blessed it mm. and hallowed it Here's a repeat of Genesis isn't it That's right Yeah, Where Because he, it says it because The reason why it's be, 
to be kept holy is because God created the heavens and the earth in six days and then rested on the seventh day. And because he'd rested, it says he blessed it and hallowed it. And sanctified it, which he set it aside Mm. for holy purposes. So God is just repeating exactly what he said at, at, uh, at creation. Yeah. And so we read also... Uh, it's also a memorial of God's redemptive work in our lives. The Sabbath is a memorial of God's redemptive work in our lives. Yeah, it's interesting when the when the law is repeated a second time in the book of Deuteronomy. You know the word duet or dual. You know you're the duel between two people. Du means two, and nomos means law. So Deuteronomy is the law repeated a second time. But in Deuteronomy chapter five, where the Ten Commandments is repeated in regards to the Sabbath commandment. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servants and your female servants may rest as well as you. So here the word rest comes in there again. Mm. And then it says, and remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. So in Exodus 20, God talks about because he created and he rested, therefore the Sabbath is to be observed. But in Deuteronomy, when he repeats the, the Ten Commandments, it tells us to observe the Sabbath because they are to remember that they were slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath was commanded because of a memorial of creation, but also a memorial of being taken out of slavery, out of Egypt. And what does Egypt represent spiritually in the Bible? Yeah, well, it represents sin, doesn't it? Enslavement to sin. sin. So God is leading us out Mm. of sin, and it's a memorial of redemption. Of redemption as well. That's right. Yes. So again, in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, he says, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign. And I want you to just park that. Mm. To be a sign between me and them. And the word sign can be into used with the word seal. Absolutely. That they may know that I am the Lord that what? That sanctifies, sanctifies them, them. That sets them aside for holy purposes. So every week when we rest on the seventh day Sabbath, we're celebrating God's work of redemption in our life. He's led us out of sin, out of Mm. bondage to sin. However, if we have not entered the rest of redemption by accepting by faith what God has done for our redemption, we're not truly entering into the meaning of Sabbath rest. Mm, That's right. If we're seeking to obey God by our own efforts, not trusting fully in Christ to do the work, we fail to experience the Sabbath rest that God intends us to celebrate. And it can become a burden. Mm. For many people, the Sabbath is a burden gets in the way of what they want to do, Yes, the things that I want to do. But if you truly understand the meaning and purpose of the Sabbath, that it is a memorial of two things again. It's a memorial of God creating this earth and all that is in there. It's a memorial of him as the creator. Mm. Isn't that funny that the whole world is moving, you know, moving towards what? Evolution. Yes. Denying creation, the creator of God. And that's why God said, remember. It's the only commandment he said remembered, isn't it? Mm. It remembers who God is as the creator and what he created. And so every week we rest on the seventh-day Sabbath. We're celebrating God's work of redemption in our life. Hence, abiding in Christ and the Sabbath rest are closely related. Remember, abiding in Christ, which is righteous by faith, are closely related. Because those who are ready to meet Jesus, right, says, will be just like Jesus. 
Mm. They will have, remember, First John 3, 2 says, those who are ready, ready to meet Jesus will be just like Jesus. Yes. And so those who are ready to meet Jesus will have truly entered the Sabbath rest. They will not only be keeping the seventh-day Sabbath holy, they'll be experiencing the true meaning of the rest of the Sabbath, mm. of being led out of bondage, out of sin, and victory over sin. I believe in this part there's a beautiful quote that Ellen White referred to when she described God's people proclaiming the Sabbath more fully right at the very end of time. Mm. It's found from the book Maranatha, page 170. It says, At the commencement of the time of trouble, we were filled with the Holy Ghost, and we went forth and proclaimed the Sabbath more fully. Yeah. So it says here, at the commencement of the time of trouble, we know there's a time of trouble coming. We're even seeing, you know, glimpses of it around the world today, aren't we? Yes. Um, you know, it's only, thankfully, by God's grace that it hasn't got worse yet. Mm. You read in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 to 7, Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 to 7, where it talks about these four angels that are actually holding back the winds of strife. That's right. And it talks about, uh, you know, these four angels standing on the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of earth. And what does winds represent in the Bible is strife. Strife, that's right. Yeah. That the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on the tree. Mm. And I saw another angel ascending from there. So these angels are actually holding back. God's actually protecting, holding back. And it says, I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. Yes. Remember the seal and sign are intertwined? Yeah. Well, look, um, even in regards to the sign of circumcision that was given to Abraham, Abraham. Mm. we can read in Romans chapter 4 and verse 11, it says that Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith which he had while yet uncircumcised. So it was an external sign yeah. of righteousness by faith, wasn't it? That's right. And it's the seal of righteousness by faith, but external sign, like you're saying, it was a sign and a seal. So it's interchangeable, like you're saying. That's right. And so it says, having the seal of the living God, this is back to Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 to Four, And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. So here's these angels. It's going this, to this hurt the earth, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have what? Sealed the mm. servants of our God in their foreheads. Yes. Now, interesting, what God wants to put a seal on our foreheads. Mm. Well, you go back and you also read back in uh, Revelation chapter 6. Right in Revelation chapter six, there's this other picture where it says everybody is fleeing to the mountains, right? Mm. Uh, and and the, because of the seven plagues, yes. the last seven plagues, and they're holding, they're all hiding from those. In contrast, there's those who are God's waiting to seal those before He releases mm. those uh, those winds. That's right, because it asks the question, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who's able to stand? That's the verse just preceding that one in Revelation 7, verse 1. So the ones who are able to stand are those who actually are sealed by now, this, this sealing message. And he wants to write something on our foreheads. Mm. Does that remind you somewhere else in the Bible where God wants to put something on our foreheads? Yes. I mean, even in Revelation chapter 14, it says that, this symbolic 144,000 of God's people right in the last days, okay, mm. it says that they have the Father's name written 
in their foreheads. That's right, yeah, 14 verse 1. So they have the Father's name. Mm. So where's the Father's name? It's in their foreheads, so it's written in their minds. Yeah. And, which, it, and, and of course, what, what does the name represent in the Bible? Character. Character, that's right. And isn't that when Moses cried out to God and he says, show me your glory in Exodus? Mm. He says, show me your glory. And God says, sure, I'll show you my glory. It's my name. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord before him. That's right. And then his character, I'm merciful, graceful. And then he gives them his Ten Commandments, mm. which are a transcript of God's character or name. Amen. Interchangeable. Now, where is God's name found in the Ten Commandments? Well, it's only found in the Fourth Commandment. It the Fourth Commandment. His name, his title, title and his jurisdiction. Yeah. yeah. I'm, the, I'm the creator of the heavens and earth. That's this right. is what I've created, the earth. Yeah. I'm the creator. Creator and the Lord your God. Yeah, just like a seal. You can go in today's modern, in the ancient um, times, the Romans would put a seal down and would say, who? What was being their seal? It was like this wax type of thing yeah. where they would seal a, a uh, an order or a scroll. You would seal it. Yeah. And well, there was, were three things, weren't there? Yes. So what the was, name of the person, so say it was Julius Caesar. Yes. And then it would be, say, the Caesar of Rome. So yep. it would give him his, his, his jurisdiction. Domain, yep. Yeah. And, of course, the title was Caesar. The Caesar. Yeah. And what about today? In modern, say, the USA president has his seal. What's on it? It's got exactly those three items, the name. So now it will be Donald Trump, President of the United States. So that's his title. Yeah. And, of course, the United States is his authority. That's his jurisdiction. Domain. Hmm. Well, where do you find God's name and his authority and his jurisdiction? In the Fourth Commandment. In the Fourth Commandment. That's right. Yeah. Now, it's also interesting that in the uh, in the Old Testament, in that great book of Isaiah, and I refer to Isaiah, and I'm not the first one to do it, but the book of Isaiah I call the Old, the, the, the Old Testament Gospel. But Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 16, it says the following. It says, bind up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples. So God is already saying there that he's going to take his law and seal it up amongst his disciples. So the seal and the sign, yes. yes. Also, another word uses a mark. Well, that's right. Yeah, it's his mark. Hmm. It's his sign. So what, is, what does it say about it? Yeah, so it says, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. And here I am and the children whom the Lord has given me. So this is actually messianic, whom the Lord has given yeah. me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Wow. And then, of course, we know that one in verse 20. So only a few verses down, it says, to the law and to the testimony which is the ones that are to be sealed up amongst the disciples, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And dare I say it, it is not the sealing message either. Wow. And so we also read in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13 to 14, it says the Sabbath is a delight mm. and tells the Sabbath is to be restored in worshiping God before Jesus returns in Isaiah fifty-eight twelve, Let's go to Isaiah 58, verse 12 uh, to 14. And it says, those from among you shall build the old waste places. So something is being rebuilt. There's, there's something that's been wasted and broken. now being rebuilt, both mm. broken. And you'll see in the context of it all, it's referring to the Sabbath that has been lost sight of through the apostasy. It took place during the Dark Ages, mm. you know, the falling away. Mm. It says, you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairers of the breach the restorers of streets to dwell in. Verse 13, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, 
the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So it it, it implies that the Sabbath is to be restored in worshiping God mm. just before Jesus returns. Amen. And I guess that that uh, goes with what in the book Maranatha, page 170, where Ellen White has this vision right at the end, which it says at the commencement of the time of trouble. And, you know, the time of trouble is... Uh, when the seven plagues are about to be poured out, yes, right, which is that's that's it, that's the end. We were filled with the Holy Ghost as we went forth and proclaimed the Sabbath more fully. Mm. And so we see that, and we also see it in Hebrews chapter eight and ten. What is it that God wants to write on our minds, uh, which is where our forehead and our hearts, is law. That's right. His law. It's part of the covenant promise that God would make. Yeah. So the message of righteousness by faith and the sealing message go hand in hand because it actually restores back that sign, that seal that is a, a symbol that is God who makes us holy. It's God who redeems us. And the God that we worship is the creator God. That's right. And we also read in opposition to this. That there's a worldwide power, mm. political and religious powers, that unite together. And we can read that in Revelation chapter 13. And it talks about in Revelation 13 verses 11, it says, And it beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. So it's like it's these two horns, reckon, are powers, mm. two different powers of a lamb. And he speaks as a dragon. So he's speaking more like, you know, Satan. Yes. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth that dwell in them to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And it says that he goes on and they receive the mark of the beast. Mm. Well, Colin, look, we, we're into some very interesting uh, topics here regarding the Sabbath and the importance of it. But let's just take our break. And then what we'll do is we'll come back right after this break to unpack this a little bit further. Stay tuned. Whatever may be our situation, we have a guide to direct our way. Whatever our perplexities, we have a sure counsellor. Whatever our sorrow, bereavement or loneliness, we have a sympathising friend. Christ's Object Lessons, page 173. Welcome back to the program. Just before the break, we were talking about the seal of God and contrasting that with the mark of the beast, Colin. So there's some interesting thoughts that are coming together here. So what you were saying, basically you were telling us that the seal of God and the sealing message of God includes the Sabbath. And then the mark of the beast is actually a contrast or opposing ideology or theology to the seal of God message, which includes the Sabbath. Yeah, so we want to find out what the seal of God is mm. and what the mark of the beast is because obviously the mark of the beast, you don't want to receive the mark of the beast in Revelation 13. Definitely don't. And there's a message to go out in Revelation 14 that tells people not to receive the mark of the beast because if you receive the mark of the beast, you receive the 
seven last plagues of God. That's and right. And you are lost. Look, no great. I've never seen any greater message of urgency and warning go out than the third angel's message we find in Revelation chapter 14 from verse 9, where it says, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on their foreheads or in their hand. Now, the forehead is interesting. The seal of God is placed in the forehead of the 144,000. But here, these people receive the mark of the beast in their foreheads. So if if the mark or the name of Christ or the name of the Father is written in the minds of those who are redeemed, reflecting his character, you must be seeing the character reflected of this antichrist power, this beast power, um, in those who worship him as well. And it says if they receive his mark in their foreheads or in their right hand, they themselves will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, and it is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation, and then they are tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So it's pretty important to find out what the seal of God is, and we've just unpacked a little bit. The seal of God is his law, his mm. character, his name, and at the heart of that is the seventh-day Sabbath. Amen. Is the seal. Mm. And, and, and just to want to make a few quick um, points about the Sabbath in the New Testament. We obviously know that Sabbath is right through the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, Jesus said in Mark 2, 27, that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was made for man. It doesn't say it's made for the Jews there, does it? Yeah. It was to be a blessing to the human family. Jesus showed by his manner of observing the Sabbath that it's lawful to do well on the Sabbath day. He says we have to do good works on the Sabbath day. Mm. And, um, and obviously on the Sermon on the Mount as well. So nowhere in the New Testament is there at least indication that God's holy Sabbath day was set aside. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus left no doubts as to his position relative to the Ten Commandments. You just read Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 19. Now, did Christ have anything to do with making the Sabbath? Well, yes. We read in John chapter 1, verse 3, Colossians 1, 16, and Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, that all things were made by him, and without him was not anything that was made. Since Christ was the active agent in creation, the Sabbath was made by him at the end of the creation week. God made it. So, he, yeah, when it says God rested, we know specifically the active person of the Godhead, the one that everything was made through was Jesus Christ. So he's the one that actually rested there. So the Sabbath is actually his day. Now, you, you quoted there Mark chapter 2, verse 27. It says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's what Jesus said. And then in the next verse, verse 28 of Mark chapter 2, it says, Therefore, the Son of Man, which is a name that Jesus used for himself, the Son of Man is also Lord of, of the, the Sabbath. Sabbath. Now, it's interesting. He's referring to the seventh-day Sabbath. The seventh-day Sabbath. So Jesus is Lord of the seventh-day Sabbath. So which day is the Lord's day then? Is the seventh day Sabbath? It has to be the seventh day Sabbath, not any other day, because as many other people would refer to the first day of the week as the Lord's day. But there's nothing in the Scripture that has only been handed down as a tradition. Tradition. Thank yeah. you. Now, did Christ have anything to do with making the Sabbath? We just found that He did. Yeah. Upon which day did Christ worship? Well, we read in Luke chapter four, verse sixteen. It says He came to Nazareth, where He had been brought up, and as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Okay, that was his custom to go yeah. to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Now, did Christ expect the Sabbath to be abolished? Many people say that it was, but let's have a listen to Matthew chapter 24, verse 20. Okay, He so recognized that it would still be in existence long after his ascension. Mm. You know, he comes and says, but pray that your flight not be in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. That's he's right. talking about this when the temple would be destroyed. And that was a prophecy that was fulfilled in 70 A.D., when at the siege of Jerusalem. And he's saying, hey, listen, 
Yeah, when well, you see the army surrounded, get out of Jerusalem. This is 38, 39 years earlier that Jesus makes his prediction. And he's not talking to people just say, oh, he's just talking to the Jews. He's talking about the believers who received him as the Messiah. He's talking to the Christian church there because we know that over a million Jews perished in that siege. But God's people who received this warning in the prophecy of Jesus in Matthew 24, they all escaped. And we know that even in the book uh, written by Alan White in The Great Controversy, not one Christian lost their life during that, That's that siege. Right. They, they, Jesus made a, prophet, made a prophecy. And they recognize this prophecy, mm. and they got out. Now, which day comes before the first day of the week? In the end, is the Sabbath. It began to dawn the first day of the week. Came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to the salt. So we know that Jesus was in the tomb on the Sabbath. Of, yeah, he was, yeah. He, you know, on the Sabbath day. So you're referring to the book of Acts there, the last? Yeah, well, Matthew 28, verse 1, when she came um, oh, okay, at the end of the Sabbath day, early in the first day of the week, that would have been Sunday morning. Yeah, that's right. So which day of the week did the woman keep after the crucifixion? Well, we read in Luke chapter 23, verse 56, it says, And they return and prepare spices and ointment and rest the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Mm. So even after crucifixion, they kept the Sabbath. Yes, they did. Now, what was Paul's example? Now, this was many years afterward, the early Christian church. Mm. What was Paul's example? Which day did he observe on the Sabbath? Well, you read Acts chapter 13, verse 14, Acts chapter 13, verse 14, and verse 42, and Acts chapter 16, verse 13. And it says, But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Mm. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city. And then another time it says, And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake to the women which resorted. So they kept the Sabbath many years after That's right. as well. Now, the, the interesting thing is, you know, if there's a testament, and we talk about the testament or the covenant of God, if a testament is changed, it can only be changed while the person is still alive. No one can change the testament of a person after they've died. Now, people might attest or, you know, they might uh, go to court because they disagree with it if there's some adverse conditions. But you cannot change the will of a person once they're dead. Now, if Jesus wanted to change the Sabbath from the seventh day of the week to, say, the first day of the week, he would have had to change that before his death because after his death you cannot change the, the, the covenant. That's right. And so what did Paul do on the working days as compared to the Sabbath. Well, you read in Acts chapter 18, verse 3 to 4, and because he was of the same craft, he was a tent maker, mm. he abode with them and wrought by their occupation. They were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath mm. and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Paul Manor, as well as Christ's custom, was to worship on the seventh-day Sabbath. Amen. Now, on which day was John in the Spirit? In Revelation mm -hmm. chapter 1, verse 10, right? John, in the, who wrote the book of Revelation, well, he was inspired to write the book. Yes. Jesus actually told him to write these things down. It says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day mm. and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Now, this expression, the Lord's day, points to the seventh-day Sabbath in both the Old and New Testament. Because he says... He says, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God in Exodus right. twenty ten. So the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. That is the Lord's day, yeah. very clear. In Isaiah 58, he says, he calls the Sabbath day my holy day. Mm. The Lord's day is the day of which Christ is the Lord. Remember, Jesus, he says, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Mm. So that means he is what? The Lord's day is the Sabbath. Sabbath. It's, it's crystal clear. That's in Matthew 12, verse 8, and Mark chapter 2, verse 28. And you can even read Exodus twenty eleven. Basically, the conclusion is, 
is Christ did all he could to restore the Israel to the biblical Sabbath as it was given to them. Mm. It was intended to be a blessing rather than a burden. Christ attempted to show that the Sabbath's real purpose was doing good, healing the sick and performing acts of mercy. That's right. And the book of Hebrew mentions the seventh-day Sabbath. God did rest the seventh day from all his works in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4. And he that entered into that rest, he also ceased from his own works as God did from his. As you look, it's very clear if you look at uh, the way the, the, the Jews at the, in Jesus' day were keeping the Sabbath, they'd taken something that was to be a delight and turned it into a burden with all their arbitrary rules and laws. And that was really just a legalistic approach to it because if your heart's not in it, if the law of God's not written in your heart and in your mind, you're going to find the Sabbath not the delight that God intends it to be. That memorial of creation, that memorial of redemption, that memorial that he is the God that does the works and sanctifies it and that we are saved by entering into his rest. It's interesting that the Sabbath and the first day of the week are both mentioned in the New Testament. However, Mm. the names of the days such as Saturday or Sunday are never mentioned because at the time of the New Testament was written, these names had not even been given to these days. Yes. Each time the Sabbath is mentioned, it has reference to the seventh or Saturday. Mm. That was a given. That's right. And each time the first day is mentioned is reference to the day known as Sunday. Mm. That's the first, when they said, oh, on the first day, first it's day just reference to the Sunday. They didn't even have those day, uh, mm-hmm. names. So how many times is the first day mentioned in the New Testament? Well, the first day of the week is mentioned eight times. Yes. But at no time is it called the Sabbath. And you can read the, here's the text, Matthew 28, 1, Mark 16, verse 1 or 2, Mark chapter 16, verse 9, Luke 24, verse 1, John chapter 20, verse 1. John chapter 20, verse 19, Acts 20, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. Mm. They are the, and then not once was it ever mentioned as called the Sabbath mm. on the mm. first day of the week. So how did, how did basically a change come? Because most of the Christian world worship, come together and worship on Sunday. Yeah, that's so, right. so how does this happen? Seeing there is no way in the Bible of the first day being called the Lord's Day mm. or the Sabbath. Well, and we look and read in Exodus 28, we know the Sabbath commandment is so plain. So why do so many believe in the Bible keep an entirely different day from the one that God mentions in his commandments? It's a truly puzzling thing. And many claim that Sabbath was changed by Christ when he was crucified and the new Sabbath was established by this same event. We ought to know now how the change was brought about. We can know what the Bible says concerning this question on the Sabbath day. Read Psalms 119 verse 18. Okay, it just says it. So but upon what day is our duty to worship God? Right through the Bible, it says the Sabbath day. There is no mention of a change. So did Christ change the Sabbath? Well, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18? Think you, not that I come to destroy the Lord or the prophets. Or the prophets, yes. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. fulfill yes. For verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or like tittle will not pass. From the, well, is heaven and earth still here? Heaven and earth, I, last time I looked, and that was not too long ago. <laughs> you were outside. That's right. So did the apostles make the change on the seventh day? Well, maybe the apostles made the change. Well, yeah. the Bible records them as always keeping the same seventh day Sabbath that the Jews observe. You can read that in Acts chapter 13, verse 14, verse 42, verse 44, Acts chapter 17, verse 1 to 3, and Acts 18, verse 4. So the disciples kept the Sabbath day holy. Mm. And so did God know that a power would rise that would claim the right to change his law. Do you think God would know something like that? I th- God knows the end from the beginning. It's very clear, so I think he would know about well, it. Well, guess what? He did. He even prophesied in the Bible, mm. in the book of Daniel, in chapter 7, verse 25, he prophesied and said that God's law 
would be changed by this beast power, mm. this, this little horn power spoken yes. in Daniel that came out of the Roman Empire, okay, a religious political power mm. that came out of the Roman Empire that would think to change God's times and law. Let's read that prophecy in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. It says, and he shall speak pompous or great words against the Most High. So this is a power that speaks against God. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High. So as a persecuting power, he shall intend, or as the King James says, he shall think to change times and laws. I like the way he think because, you know what, what's your birthday, Edian? When is your birthday? Uh, it is on the 11th of August. Now, I can say your birthday is on the uh, you know 7th of March. Yeah. I can think to try and change it. But I can't change your birthday, can my, I? My birth certificate says otherwise, Colin. So you can you can call it whatever you like, but the birth certificate right. says it's the end of August. I can think to try and change it, That's but I right. can't change it. So keep going. Now, it's interesting that it talks about uh, connecting times and laws there. So it, it will be a law in regards to time. Hmm. And it says, and then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. And it says, but the court will be seated, and they will take away his dominion to consume and destroy it. So Amazing. the courts, so the, the judgment when God sits in heaven and the judgment starts, it's through this judgment process that this little horn power who opposes God, who opposes his law or elements of his law in regards to time and persecutes God's people, the saints of the Most High. This is how he loses his authority because he loses it through the court sitting, and that is during the, the judgment, as we read in Revelation chapter 14. The hour of his judgment has come, mm. and we are called to worship God, not according to the way that this Antichrist power wants us to worship God, but according to the way God has set it through the gospel, through the commandments of God, that we are to worship him through the sign, the seal, the symbol that represents God as the one who makes us holy, the one who redeems us, and the one who's created yeah, us. So we need to know who this little horn is that Daniel says would think to change God's times and laws. And mm. we know that the only part of time in his law is the seventh day. That's right. In the Ten Commandments. Mm. So the prophet was shown three characteristics of this power and the length of time it would be supreme, this power. Yes. Okay. Its characteristics, it would speak great words against God, which is blasphemy. Blasphemy, that's right. right. Now, blasphemy is saying that you are in place of God. Mm. So it has to be a religious power that says that we are representatives of God, yes. that I am I am the God on this earth. Yes. Okay? And so would have a title of being uh, place, taking the place of Almighty God. Mm. Okay? It would wear out God's people. So it's a persecuting power. That's right. So it would be persecuting God's people. It would think to change times and laws and mm. disregard. So it would change God's law from Sabbath That's right. uh, to Sunday. Yes. All right. Uh, the length of time allotted to this power uh, to be serene was a time, uh, times and the dividing of time. Well, that means that it's three and a half years. Three and a half years, that's or right. Or 1260 days. That's right. Now, we also know that uh, in Revelation 12, 6, it says 1,200 three score days. Since this is a prophetic time, we apply the principle of prophetic interpretation. Mm. And Ezekiel chapter 4 verse 6 says that we allot one day for a year. So when we do that, this persecuting power who would change God's law, say that he was God on earth, Mm. would be in power for 1260 years. We also know this power, right, was to arise after 538 AD. All right. This little horn would arise then. 
after the Roman Empire, which was the fourth yeah. kingdom in Daniel. Yes, yeah, so what happens is this this little horn grows out of the fourth beast of Daniel chapter 7. That fourth beast is the fourth kingdom, which is Rome. Then there's a dividing of the kingdom on the western side, where where the, mm. the seat was, you know, where the head of the beast was, which is Rome. So in Europe, there was a dividing into ten kingdoms. Yes. So what happens, once these ten kingdoms are established and the, the disintegration of Rome and the western empire was at 476 A.D., when that took place, it says this little horn will grow up among them. So you've got to expect it to grow up amongst the ten kingdoms out of Rome. Very clear. It can't be a Grecian power. It cannot be Antiochus Epiphanes. So once it's grown up out there, it uproots three empires, three of those ten. So they are taken off the, uh, the, 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 the face of the and earth. And we know that in history that, um, in aid, uh, that this power came into power after destroying three Aryan powers, namely yes. the Heruli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. Ostrogoths, yes. And we know that that happened, and then we know that the authority was given in 530 AD. This is a history. We haven't got time to cover that today. That's right. yes. But we can maybe do that in another segment. Mm. And we, so if we go from 538 to 1260 years, that takes us to 1798. Yes. Now, interesting, in, 19, in 1798, sorry, we know that the, uh, Napoleon was marching across Europe. And we know that General Bertha went to Rome and took the Pope prisoner. That's right. Okay. And there was no Pope for two years. Even though another Pope was elected in 1800, yet she had been diverted of her civil power, and then from that day to her power to persecute has not been restored. Mm-hmm. You know, John speaks about that in Revelation 13.1, where this beast power would be what? Would receive a wound. That's, that's right. But it said it would be healed. And so I guess... It points out that the papacy is this power in the Bible, and all Protestant religions believe that uh, until just recently. Now, mm-hmm. the question I want to ask is, does the papacy claim that it had power to change the law of God and particularly the right to change the Sabbath day? Well, let's notice how the claims of the papacy say. Question. There was a question asked to, um, to the papacy, which is the Sabbath day? Yes. And they answered and said, Saturday is the Sabbath day. The Roman Catholic Church is very clear in regards to what the the Sabbath day is. And the question was asked, well, why do you observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Hmm. And here's what they said. It came out of the council. We observe Sunday. This is quoting. We observe uh, Sunday instead of Saturday because of the Catholic Church. In the Council of Laodicea in AD 336, we transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. And that's from uh, Reverend Peter Guyman. The Converts Catechism of Catholic Doctrine, page 50, uh, 2D, edition 910. Mm. So basically they said we changed it. That's right. Three or 400 years later mm. after the early Christian church. The question is, has the Catholic church power to make any alterations in the commandments of God? And this is what they said. Yes. This is their answer. Instead of the seventh day and other festivals appointed by the old law, the church has prescribed the Sunday and holidays to be set apart for God's worship. And these we are now obliged to keep in consequence of God's commandment instead of the ancient Sabbath. So they admit they changed it. Yeah. So, so they've changed it to Sunday. Now, I want to look at quickly what was God's sign or seal and what is the mark of the beast? Because mm. it's going to be okay. in, in, in contrast. Good, good. We know that the papacy changed God's law to Sunday, mm. all right, with no evidence of the biblical evidence of having a reason to do that. Yes. They just did it by their own authority. So when we look at what um, God's seal is, right, for centuries the great controversy between Christ has, and Satan has continued. And that controversy began in heaven when Lucifer rebelled against God. We can read that in Revelations 12, verse 7 and 9. Mm. 
And it's evident in these words of Jesus that Satan will be successful in leading nearly the whole world to follow him. Read Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. However, a few will respond to God's invitation to fear God and give glory to him and worship him that made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the fountains of the water. That's found in Revelations 14.7. This call back to true worship, Amen. the three angels' message. The restorers of the breach, that's right. And also a warning mission not to receive the mark of the beast. Mm. So in whose image was man made? We know that we were made in God's image. We know that uh, God's image is going to be restored. That's right. So what is the seal? Well, it's a device which reproduces an image as a soft substance like a wax or a clay. Remember why we talked about ancient rulers had rings which were used as seals. They put their ring. Today's most legal documents require the seal of a notary public to be binding. So there's a seal. Remember the president or whoever it is. Yeah. And who's doing this sealing? Well, in the Bible, it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, that after you believe, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And we read under the new covenant where, where is God's law placed. And it says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, this is the covenant I'll make. I will put my laws in their mind, remember, on their forehead. That's right. And write them in their heart. So God's seal is his law on that. What condition will Christ produce in his church? Well, that we'll love one another mm. will be the result of this. And I love it. Remember in John chapter 14, it says that the 144,000 have the what? Father's name written on their foreheads. In Revelation 14, that's right, yes. So the seal and the divine name cannot be separated. A seal on an object testifies to its ownership. We can read that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. This is the mark of the truth, the mark of God's approval. Those who are sealed are like Christ in character. And so we know that God's seal, right, mm. is the Sabbath because that's where his name is in his law. That's right. And so it's his holy Sabbath day. Only the Sabbath commandment contains the essential elements of an efficient seal and gives authority to the Ten Commandments law. It gives the name and title of God and shows his right to direct obedience to human race. You can read that in Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11. He says, the name, the Lord thy God, yes. the title, creator of heavens and earth. Mm. So the Sabbath is the sign of God's creative total activity. And so the seal of God's approval when placed on a person will indicate he has the victory over sin and it will be evident that he belongs to God. Mm. And remember we talked about Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 to 3? We are living in the time of the sealing time. That's right. God's people were commandment keepers. The Sabbath is the outward sign, the mark or the seal distinguishing them from those who do not obey or recognize the commandments of God. Mm. But to God's people, the Sabbath means sanctification. It means being made holy. It means sin, Jesus taking sin out of us. It is a sign between them and God that marks them as they belong to God. So this is what the seal is, is the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And so the mark of the beast, once we know who the beast is, will be in opposition of the Sabbath. It's a call to worship on a different day. Yes. And we know that the papacy changed that day. And the Revelations chapter 13 says that there will be a call, right? Mm. A persecuting uh, power will persecute God. And we can read that um, in Revelation 12, verse 17. It says, The dragon was wroth with the woman, the ch which represents the church, mm. and went to make war with the remnant, this is God's last day church, yes. which have the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we know that also in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 20, God says, listen to what he says, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, 
Remember that sign and seal are interchangeable? Yes. yes. That they might know that I am the Lord who what? Sanctifies them. And hallow also Ezekiel twenty twenty. And hallow my Sabbath, so they will be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. So the Bible tells us this counterfeit of Christianity was to arise in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse three, doesn't mm, it? That's right. What does it say? It says that this um, Antichrist would rise and there would be a falling away amongst the church and mm. the mystery of iniquity. And it says it will rise. He who opposes and exalts him above, above that is called God or was worshipped. And the mystery of Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abomination of the earth. So this religious political power rises around 538 AD, mm. persecutes the saints, right, and, and forces worship. And it says it's going to repeat this in the last days. That's right. Yeah, And you're mentioning worship there. You know, the word uh, worship is actually mentioned a number of times in Revelation 13. Matter of fact, it's mentioned five times. Revelation chapter 4 says, so they worshiped the dragon. Who was the dragon? That's the devil yep. who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast. So there's worship mentioned twice. Worship the dragon, worship the and beast. And remember what the fourth beast was. If you go through the book of Daniel, mm. you have these four beasts. Yes. One is Babylon. Mm. Then came Medo-Persia. Then came Greece, then came Rome, then the ten kingdoms that came out of Rome. That's right. And then it says a little horn comes up among them, all right, a religious political little horn. Mm. And around that 530 AD, it came into power. That's and right. It plucked up three of the other kingdoms and destroyed them. And if you look at history, this is exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. That's right. And then it says, verse 8, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Now, that's the, the, the beast, the Antichrist prow or the dragon. So that's the third time it's mentioned. And then in verse 12, it says, and uh, he ex- exercises the authority of the first beast. So this is the second beast that comes from the earth in, the pre- in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wind was healed. So that's the fourth time it's mentioned. Then verse 15, it says he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. So now he's duplicating what the first beast was, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as not worship the image of the beast so to be killed. So it's talking about another beast power rising up the earth, and that's mm. a whole other Bible study. That's right. But this other power... In the end time, a worldwide, you know, economic power, military mm. power, in the last day is going to unite with this first beast, papacy power, to enforce the mark of the beast. That's right. And now we know what that mark is and the seal is. Absolutely. Well, let's just go for a quick break to share our contact details, and we'll be right back straight after this. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us on You Shall Receive Power. If you would like more information about today's program, Or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249 73 3456. Or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to You Shall Receive Power. I hope you got those contact details down in case you have some questions. Because, Colin, you shared quite a few texts there for us to go through. And if people want to have a copy of their Bible study, they can get in touch with us here. So just to wrap it up, Colin, just give us a a little bit of a a summary of what we've just gone through. Well, listen, we know that Satan hates God and he hates Mm. his Sabbath because the true meaning of the Seventh-day Sabbath, we can see why Satan hates it. It's a memorial of God's work of redemption in the lives of his children. Mm, amen. Every week, Satan is confronted with a day memorializing God's redemptive work, mm. which will ultimately bring Satan's kingdom to an end. Yes. The rest of the Sabbath symbolizes the end of Satan's power in the lives of God's people. 
So everything about it is direct affront to Satan's effort to bring mankind under the power of his kingdom. This is why just before Jesus comes, before Jesus comes and puts an end to sin, Satan will try to abolish the seventh-day Sabbath from off the earth. He's already trying to destroy marriage, mm. which was put into place at creation. Yes. And he's going to destroy the seventh-day Sabbath. He will have led the vast majority of earth inhabitants to disregard it and even consider those who are still keeping it as going against God's will. Mm. So just before Christ returns, Satan will inspire the powers of the earth to finally destroy those few who will keep the day he hates, hoping to be finally rid of any evidence of that one day. But we know that from prophecy that Satan's plan to destroy God's people will fail. Just as the destruction is about to take place, Jesus comes and delivers all who remained faithful to him during the darkest hour. The Sabbath will not only have remained in this earth from creation to the second coming of Jesus. The good news is it will be kept by God's people throughout eternity in the new earth. Hmm. And I just want to finish on this text in Isaiah chapter 66, verses 22 to 23. So that's Isaiah 66, verse 22 to 23. Can you imagine what a day of rejoicing that will be? For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come and worship before me, says the Lord. So there's good news in it. We will be, God created it at beginning, before sin even came into this earth. Hmm. He kept it through the Old Testament. Jesus, all the Old Testament prophets, Jesus kept it. The new disciples, the early disciples, the early Christians kept it. And it wasn't until about 300 years later that this beast power would rise up and change God's law to another day as an affront to God. Yeah, and based on what you read, that was the Council of Laodicea, 336 AD, that they changed it. And we also know that before Jesus returns, that God's law will be restored. This breach, the Sabbath will be restored mm. And the message of the three angels' message Will go out to the world To call people back to true worship of God And keeping his commandments And having the faith of Jesus Amen Dear listener, thank you for being on this journey with us We pray that God will continue to bless you Until we meet with you again next time God be with you listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.